0: A holiday or what, but first service, second service, seems like, uh, I think we want to clap, not sure we're going to clap, so we should just all clap. Okay, everybody just clap so you can get out of your system. Yeah, see? You know, sometimes I think, um, we were doing that last song and, you know, I don't know if you guys first of all know that Norflett wrote that song, which is pretty amazing to me every time we sing it, so... But it says, you know, you hung there to die. Arms stretched out wide, you hung there to die. And then it talks about, I lift my arms, I lift my voice, I lift, you know, I just want to encourage you, take a risk. When we're singing a song like that, just take a risk. And I remember when Martin Sanders was here a few years ago and he just talked about this. It's We all know what this means in any other context. It means I surrender, right? Right? It's a showing of the vulnerable part of our body, right? That's... And so there's just this opportunity when we're in worship for you to take a risk. And I know some of you, that's just a big deal. Like, start here if you have to. (laughs) But I just want to encourage you. Sometimes, sometimes I just feel like God's saying to me, like, just lift your hands. Receive what I have for you. So... That has nothing to do with my sermon, but it just felt like we needed to hear that this morning. Hey, we're continuing through the Gospel of Luke, the series that we're calling Absolute. And what we're seeing as we study Luke is this clear portrait of the person of Christ, the teachings of Christ, the miracles of Christ, all of the work of Jesus. And we, we read this incredible narrative, and it's there for the very purpose of reinforcing our own faith. It helps us to be more firm, more certain, more absolute about the things that we believe. The other thing that comes through loud and clear in the Gospel of Luke is that the work of Jesus is indeed absolute. The Bible tells us if the Son sets you free, you're free indeed. There is this assurance that we can have of freedom and of of healing. Last Last week we heard the Words to Simon. Remember, Jesus said to him after all of the events that we taught through, He says, From now on, you will be a fisher of men. And the point that came out of that was that when you have an encounter with the living God, everything changes. That there is a from now on that takes place. And sometimes we think that's a once and done thing. We said that prayer. You know that salvation prayer, we did what we had to do, now we're saved and everything changed. And that's a great thing, it's a good thing, but I would tell you that is a daily thing. That you need to encounter the living God in your life more and more and more. And every time you encounter him, some of you have had a profound encounter already this morning. And everything is different going forward. We pray every Sunday that you would come to church, that you would interact with the living God, and you would leave different than you came. From now on, you would be absolutely different. So grab your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, we're working our way through the gospel. As you look for that, I want to take you back a few weeks when Norfolk preached in, in a section of chapter 4 when... When Jesus is in the temple in Nazareth and he takes the scrolls from Isaiah and he reads from Isaiah 61 and what he's really doing is he's, he's proclaiming his own mission statement. And he says these words, he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty or freedom to the captives, to recover sight for the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. From that moment on in the Gospel of Luke, what we have is this detailed eyewitness account of Jesus living into that very mission statement. This is the story of Jesus setting the captives free, right? So that's what we're we're reading through. And as we unpack the passage today, we're going to answer the question, so what? It's a question I ask a lot when I preach because I think it's important to us. We can, we can read passages of scripture. We can even study what it meant in those days and what was being going on. But if we don't ask the question of ourselves, so what, then we miss what God has. So what does this have to do with you? What does this amazing story have to do with us? What is the application that we can make today? Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 12. While he, we're talking about Jesus, was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and he begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Jesus stretched out his hand and he touched him saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one but to go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for proof to them but now even more reports of him went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities but Jesus would withdraw to desolate places and pray verse 16 but he would withdraw to desolate places and pray there is a picture here that Luke is trying to give us a contrast in the absolute Biggest part of Jesus' ministry, when the crowds were coming, when his time was being taken away from him by all of the people who are clamoring to see him, when he is having what we would deem ministry success, Jesus goes to desolate places to pray. It's a reminder for all of us that when God is doing his best work in your lives, you better carve out time to go to desolate places and pray. Don't let the busyness, especially the busyness of ministry... Doing God's work keep you from connecting with God and having prayer front and center in everything that you do. That's why it's so important at Grace that we have a culture of prayer. So with that, if you'd bow your heads, let me just pray for this morning. Heavenly Father, we are here in your church. We stand in your presence. You are here. You are moving in the hearts of our people. But I ask that the word of God would be our rule. I ask that the spirit of God would be our teacher. Lord, I ask that we would be concerned for your glory, that we would want nothing more than, than your glory to go forth from this place, that people would come to know you. Lord, I pray that we would have an encounter with the living God and that each one of us would leave different than we came. And I ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So in order to grasp or understand the significance of this particular story in Scripture, We have to kind of go back and understand a little bit better the ancient world. We have to understand first century culture and beliefs and customs. Sometimes what would be obvious to the first readers of this story isn't obvious to us. 2,000 years have passed. We don't really understand all that was going on. So the best way I could explain this to you is have you ever been at a party where a lot of the people at the party have all had a common experience and they begin to tell a story, and the, and the story goes something like, Hey, remember when? <laughs> yeah, and, and, and when Jack, <laughs> and there was that broom, and, <laughs> and you're like, Huh? And everybody in the room's laughing. Why? Because they know whatever it is that they did and what Jack did in the broom. And you're like, I don't have any clue what you guys are talking about. You feel like an outsider. In a lot of ways, that's the way it is with scripture. A lot of times, there's a whole lot of detail that the first reader would have known because they were part of that culture that we're missing. Here's a really perfect example of that. When we read the story of the Last Supper, there is a lot of detail left out. Why? Because it was written to Jewish people who had participated in a Passover meal every year since they were born. And so when it says Jesus took the bread, they don't explain what bread Jesus took because every good Jew would have known exactly what bread it was. Or if you read in it, it says, and Jesus took the cup. A good question for us to ask of that passage is, what cup? What What is the cup that Jesus took? but it's the third cup. It's the third cup of a story that was told year after year for 1,400 years. When Jesus held the cup, every first century reader would have known it was the cup of sacrifice. It was the cup that pointed toward the Messiah. Now, how much more profound is it when Jesus is holding that cup and he says, this is my blood shed for you. We miss all that because we don't have the understanding of the customs, understanding of what's going on. That's the good work we do in, in good Bible translation and teaching is trying to bring that to the table. So here we have a story. In every first century reader of this story, as soon as they heard there was a man full of leprosy, they would have associated leprosy with sin. They would have immediately gone to the fact that this man was both spiritually and physically afflicted. As a matter of fact, we are really the only culture, the only time in the history of the world, as far as I can figure out, that have actually taken the physical and the spiritual and separated them apart. The truth of the matter is your physical well-being and your spiritual well-being are intricately connected. But we've done this good work or bad work, depending on your perspective, of separating the two apart. And so when we read Isaiah 61, there is a debate among Christians, was Jesus talking about physical healing? Right, I read Isaiah 61 before we started. I've come to set the captives free, to give sight to the blind, to heal. Was he talking physical or was he talking spiritual? No one would have asked that question up until the last maybe 100 years. Why? Because there was no separating the physical and the spiritual. When a Jewish person says, shalom, peace, they're talking about every part of you, physical, spiritual, your entire well-being. Those two were interconnected together. So here's what I want you to hear. I am not saying, this gets a little complicated, stay with me. I am not saying because you suffer, it's because you've sinned. Now the double talk. Some of you suffer, because you sin. It's not always the case. But what I am saying is your physical well-being and your spiritual well-being are connected together. They are intertwined and they cannot be taken apart. And any reader in the first century wouldn't have been pulling them apart. So here's how it plays out. You have deep-seated unforgiveness in your spirit towards someone And that manifests itself as some sort of depression or heaviness in your life. And so in a way to kind of mask that pain and heaviness that you feel, you turn to some kind of comfort to overcome it. Maybe it's a little too much alcohol. Maybe it's uh, pornography. Maybe it's your refrigerator. And in all of those things, you bring in a physical element to take care of a spiritual element, and you actually make the matter worse. And so your physical well-being and your spiritual well-being are connected together. And so a first century reader would have heard a man was full of leprosy, and they would have immediately said that he was cursed, that he had some type of sin problem. As a matter of fact, they would have probably associated it with gossip or slander, and that goes all the way back to Miriam. Remember when Moses' sister said something bad about Moses, and then she was afflicted immediately with leprosy? And so they would have been using all the Old Testament moments where you see leprosy and it was associated with a curse. That's what would have been going through their mind. Leprosy. There are two chapters in Leviticus that deal with leprosy. And here's the deal. Leprosy could have been eczema, like an extreme case of of eczema. It could have been even like a nail fungus, an extreme case of nail fungus. Or it could have been the leprosy that we know in today's day and age. But what I want you to hear is that it could have been a pretty minor ailment but a pretty severe result of having this minor ailment. It was considered extremely contagious, dangerous. So we have these two chapters in Leviticus that deal with this skin disease. In Leviticus 13.45, it says, If you have this problem... If you have leprosy, the person who has it, listen to this, shall wear torn clothes, let their hair and their head hang loose, meaning that it would get matted and and dirty. It shall cover his upper lips and cry, unclean, unclean, anytime somebody walks by them. Verse 46, and he shall remain, excuse me, (coughs) remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone and his dwelling shall be outside of the camp. This is the plight of the leper in Luke chapter 5. I want you to put yourself in the leper's shoes for just a minute. I just want you to imagine what it would be like. You are isolated from all of your friends and all of your family. If you were a father or a mother, you could no longer have contact, physical contact. You would even have to have distance between you and your own children or your spouse You're unable to go to the temple and worship. And to be a Jew was to participate in worship, was to be part of all of those amazing festivals that were about building community and and belonging to a people. But none of that was available to you. So you would have been isolated from your friends and you would feel isolated from God. Your very presence has to be hideous. You have to have matted hair. You have to wear torn clothes so that no one can mistake you for being a clean person and when someone walks by you have to shout unclean unclean imagine the impact on your self-worth imagine how you would feel about yourself imagine would you feel like a beloved child of god think about the impact that this would have on your self-worth The lepers of that day, the old first century, they were the most neglected, they were the most oppressed people of the culture. So what happens in the story of Luke is really scandalous. Look at what it says in verse 12. It says, while Jesus was in one of the cities, there came to a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and he begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. The leper is desperate. He is willing to risk everything to stand before Jesus. We don't hear him yelling, unclean, unclean. We see him entering into the crowds that must have been around. Here, I can tell you, when this happened, the people would have gasped. What is he doing? Doesn't he know He's not supposed to approach a a holy man, let alone come this close to us. And he hasn't yelled, unclean, unclean. No, he comes to Jesus and he kneels before him and he says, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. This is a powerful statement of faith. You, Jesus, have all the power to make me clean. You, Jesus, are capable, if you are willing, you are capable of making me clean. The question is, was he asking to be physically clean or spiritually clean? Both, because he would have no paradigm for separating the two. He would not have any ability, just the way the culture was, to separate the two. When he says, you can make me clean, he means physically clean, spiritually clean. Jesus, you are the only one who can make me whole again. It's an incredible moment of bravery. He could have been punished severely for putting people at risk. And what if Jesus said no? It takes a lot of risk to ask for something that you know, if the answer is no, is going to be heartbreakingly disappointing. Sometimes we don't ask because we're afraid the answer will be no. But he's desperate to be clean, he's desperate to be restored. And he comes to Jesus, and Jesus' response is just as scandalous as a leopard. Look at verse 13. It says, and Jesus stretched out his hand, and he touched him. At that moment, everybody would have gasped again. What is he doing? He just touched a leopard." It says the man was full of leprosy. You know that what that means? It means it wasn't nail fungus. He was probably hideous looking full of leprosy it covered him you would have been able to see his affliction physically and by law when Jesus touched him then Jesus was then unclean now he wasn't unclean but that's what everybody would have thought what is he doing he just touched a leper put yourself in the shoes of the leper again he would have pretty much given up any hope of ever being physically touched again But Jesus reaches out in a show of mercy, in a show of compassion, in a show of of this incredible love. He touches the leper and he says to him, I will be clean. And it says, and immediately the leprosy left him. This is a good place for you to clap. Clap. Jesus reaches out and he touches the leper and he speaks the words of life that all of us need to hear in our life. He says, I will be clean. The leper gets more than he bargained for. He gets a physical and a spiritual healing, total cleansing, because that's what Jesus does. That's who Jesus is. So then Jesus instructs him. He says, look, don't tell anyone Go present yourself to the priest, bring an offering. Why does he do that? Because that's the law. Because until he stands before the priest and the priest examines him, he's still unclean. Now he's not unclean, but until they proclaim him clean, he is considered unclean. So Jesus is actually protecting him and saying, look, don't talk to anybody because by law you are still considered unclean. But trust me, when you get there and they examine you, they're going to find nothing and you're going to be proclaimed clean, and then you can talk to anybody. Now, we know from the other Gospels that he didn't do that, that he talked to everybody, but I think that might just be because he was excited, because, hey, he's been a leper, and now he's not, and it says he told everybody, and people came from all around. But the reason Jesus said that was to protect him, to obey the law. Jesus heals the leper. Now, here's the thing. In first century Here's Jesus and he's doing his thing and the crowds are coming and here's what they're asking. Who is this guy? Who is this Jesus? Is he a great prophet? Is he the Messiah? Who is he? And so anytime Jesus would do a miracle, everybody would compare that miracle to a miracle that someone else did in the Old Testament. So you remember when Jesus fed the multitudes with a few fish and the loaves? What's the conversation that comes on the backside of that? Well, Moses gave us manna. So they're asking the question, well, is this miracle bigger than that miracle? Is Jesus a better prophet than that prophet? They're all just trying to size him up. What's the deal? And so every miracle he does. As a matter of fact, every miracle of the Old Testament prophets is a foreshadowing of Jesus himself. So when Jesus heals the leper, every first century reader would have thought, Elisha, Elisha healed the leper too. And they would have went and they would have thought about that story. And what I want you to do, I hope your Bibles are still open, is I want to share that story with you. Because there's a couple things we're going to learn from that leper that parallel the leper in Luke chapter 5. It'll help us to make the application of so what. So 2 Kings chapter 5. 2 Kings, that's after First and 2 Samuel, before Chronicles, so early on in the Old Testament. And here's what I want you to do. I just want you to, if you haven't found it, it's okay. Just hear the story. This is a really well-written, all of the Bible is well-written, but this is one of those narratives where it's easy to picture what's going on. It's easy to see the scene in your mind. And that's what I'd like you to do. Engage your imagination and see the story that I'm reading to you. Second Kings 5.1 says, Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and he was in high favor because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Now the Syrians in one of their raids had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. That means she was a slave, by the way. She said to her mistress, Would that my lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of leprosy. So Naaman went to and told his lord, the king, thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go now, I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he went taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 changes of clothes. In other words, he took a whole lot of stuff. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, when this letter reaches you, know that I have sent name in my servant that you may cure him of leprosy. Look, that's a pretty shocking letter to get. Imagine somebody comes into your court and says, here's the letter, cure him of leprosy. Not a big surprise how the king responds. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and he said, am I God to kill or make alive that this man sends word to me to cure a man of leprosy? Only consider and see he's just seeking a quarrel with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent word to the king and said, why have you torn your clothes? Let him come to me that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman, came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. And get this, Elijah, he sent a messenger to him and said, Go wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh will be stored and you shall be clean. There's that word again, clean. But Naaman was angry. He went away and saying, Behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me. Stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hands over the place and cure my leprosy. Are not Abana and pair for the rivers in Damascus better than the waters in Israel? Could I not have washed in them and been clean? So he turned and he went away in a rage. He was angry. But his servant, second time we've seen a servant minister to his master. But his servant came near and said to him, My father, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, wash and be clean? So he went down and he dipped himself seven times in the Jordan according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child. And he was clean. Was he physically clean or spiritually clean? Very good. You've been listening to me. Verse 15. When he returned the man of God to the man of God and all of his company, he came and he stood before him and he said, Behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. That's how we know he was spiritually clean. He came to know the God of Yahweh. If you keep reading the story, he says, I will worship this God and no other God even when I go back to Syria. He says, now accept the presence from your servant, but Elisha said, no, as the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive none. And he urged him to take it, but Elijah refused. Look, there's a whole series of sermons that could come out of this story, but I just want to share a few important points. Naaman was desperate. Yes. Preach. I'm pretty sure he said preach. Did you hear that? (laughs) Naaman was desperate. Desperate enough to travel in the days of difficult travel. Sometimes we forget how how people got around on horses and on foot. So he, he went a couple hundred miles or more. He's willing to travel. He's willing to go to a foreign land. He's willing to go to his boss, the king, and ask if he can go to a foreign land to ask a prophet of a God who he knows nothing about to heal him of a leprosy that's that's afflicting him. He is desperate. And here's what he knows. Only God, even if I don't know who God is, only God is the one who can cure me. I think it's amazing that the hero, in my opinion, apart from God in this story, is a little slave girl who was taken from Israel but desires to bless her master, desires good for her master. and says, hey, there is this prophet who, if you go to him, he can heal you of your disease. He gets there, and the king of Israel, like I said, it makes sense to me. He looks a little bit like a wimp, but he says, am I God to kill and make alive? This man sends word to me to... Heal him of his leprosy. The king knows the same thing that Naaman knows, that only God can cure. Only God can make him clean. Here's where I think the story gets fascinating. Elisha sends word. The man goes to Elisha's house. This is a powerful man. This is the greatest army of the the world at that time. He's the commander of the armies. He is a powerful, important man and Elisha doesn't even come to the door. He sends one of his messengers out to him. So just go down to the Jordan and wash seven times. And Naaman is incensed, his pride gets the best of him. Shouldn't this man have come out and at least greeted me? Shouldn't he have performed some kind of important ceremony? Shouldn't he have jumped up and down and waved his arms and said something profound? Look, this is crazy talk. I could have gotten this back home. His pride gets the best of him. And here's the deal. Sometimes we don't come to Jesus because our pride gets the best of us. Because we don't know how desperate we are for Jesus. And our pride keeps us from taking the step of faith. And again, we see a servant as a hero who says, wait a minute, this is pretty good news. Didn't he say, if you just wash in the Jordan, you'll be clean? And Naaman humbles himself. We see, and last week we saw Peter, Simon, humble himself and bow before God. We see in the leper humbling himself and falling at the feet of God. And we see Naaman, this great commander, humbling himself and saying, okay, I'll do what the man of God said to do. And he goes and he washes in the Jordan seven times and his skin is restored to that of a child. And then he comes back and he says, behold, I know that there is no God in all of earth, but in Israel, he is physically and spiritually clean. And the question is, so what? Aren't these great stories? They're fun to study. They're fun to read, but What difference does this make in my life? What difference does this make in your life? Here's the reality. If you are in this room today, you are desperate for Jesus. You may not know it. You may think you've gotten all of Jesus you need. Or you may think you don't need Jesus at all. But I am here to tell you that if you are in this room, if you are sitting in this place, you are desperate for Jesus. Do you know how desperate you are? You're as desperate as the leper in Luke 5. You're as desperate as Naaman to have a touch from Jesus. The powerful words that the leper in Luke 5 speaks is Lord If you will, you can make me clean. I've been praying ever since I got this sermon put together that we would be willing to pray that prayer, each one of us individually. Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And some of you are saying, well, he's already made me clean. Here's what I want to tell you. The Lord has shown me I need to come back to this prayer over and over this weekend. I needed to pray because there is still junk in here. There is still stuff that I do that I wish I didn't do. There are thoughts that I have that I wish I didn't have. There are things that I cling to that I wish I could let go of. And Jesus is saying, just come to me. Just say, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And this is what I think we all need to hear. The Spirit of God whisper in our ear, I will be clean. I will be clean. So here's what we're going to do. Mel's going to come up here and she's just going to sing over us. Ron's going to play on the piano, and I'm going to ask you to take a risk. I'm going to ask you to come down here and kneel before the Father, the way the leper in Luke kneeled before Jesus. And I just want you to pray, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. I don't know what you need to be clean of, but he does. For some of you, it may be the first time you've ever prayed it. This is your moment to come into the saving grace of Jesus and say, Lord, I am a mess. I know I can't clean myself up, but I know that you can do it. And Lord, if you will, would you be my Lord and Savior? Would you make me clean? And you know what he will say? I will be clean. For others of us, we've made that decision a long time ago, but there's still stuff. I just want to encourage you to come down. Just pray the prayer and allow the voice of God to whisper in your ear through his Holy Spirit, I will be clean. So Lord, I just pray in these next few minutes as we sing, as we pray, that you would just stir in our hearts. I pray that we would hear you whisper in our ear, I will be clean. Help us to be clean physically. Help us to receive healing physically and spiritually. Help us not to pull those two apart, but to realize that it's our entire being that you want to touch. Lord, I just pray that you would give us a spirit of bravery to take a step, to come down here, to kneel before you and pray, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean.